0: What is going on, everybody? John Middlecoff, Three and Out Podcast. This is the weekend mailbag edition. At John Middlecoff is my Instagram. It's the way you get onto this podcast. You just fire in those DMs. You ask me a question. Football, life, you name it, fire in those DMs and get your question answered here on the show. We're live on AMP. Live on AMP. Download Amazon AMP. Uh, It's Sunday at about 1 o'clock. Just, you know, play a little golf. Got, I walked, got a little sweat in, just drove home, listen to listen to Draymond talk about uh, losing the series and how he wants to stay with the Warriors because um, he's smart. He, he knows we, we talk about this a lot in football. There is so much value in just winning over and over and over again and being a champion and ultimately taking a little less at that level, whether it's the NBA or the NFL to maintain winning sets you up for life when you already have a ton of money. Because we love winners in this country, uh, especially when it comes to our athletes, especially when they're introduced as champions the rest of their life and part of, you know, championship, you know, programs. You're seeing it right now with with Kelsey and Mahomes. They will be viewed, especially if they win another one, three, four time Super Bowl champion, obviously Tom and Gronk and Edelman. So uh, tough out for us uh, Warriors people. Obviously, Draymond played. Uh, I, I hate the Lakers. I'm not even going to lie. Despise them. I, you know, as I've gotten older, I don't really hate that many teams like I did when I was a kid. My, my fandom is so much different now, especially as a degenerate gambler. I just really root for people I gamble on. You know, I I don't even hate the Dodgers anymore because I don't care that much about the Giants like I used to. The Lakers are the only team when I see I just root for them to lose. I would root if LeBron was on the team. I did when Kobe was on the team. I love Shaq, and I rooted for him to lose back in his heyday. So it just, it pains me to say, nuggets and five, baby. Let's go Denver. Um, Okay, before we dive into the mailbag, add John Middlecoff. Do you want to go to an NBA playoff game? Do you live in Denver? Do you live in L.A.? Do you live in Miami? Uh, You know, Philly, as of recording this, or Boston, uh, NHL playoff games, baseball games. Use the official ticketing app of this podcast, Game Time. Go to your app store, download the Game Time app, use the promo code John. Just had a buddy the other day. He's like, what's your promo code? I'm like, Brian, it's John, J-O-H-N. He used it, went to a baseball game. It's that easy. Download the app. We all got smartphones. Type in the promo code, and then you're off and running, and you're having yourself a day with your lady friend, with your son, with your dad, enjoying whatever. uh, Concerts, comedy shows, as well as sporting events. So promo code John. Okay, let's start with this question. Seems kind of serious. How would you go about breaking up with a girl, Who you've been with for about three years she didn't do anything bad to me in fact she's great i have no complaints about her whatsoever but i just kind of know i don't see myself marrying her it sounds bad but she's not my type looks wise and i'm not in love with her never really was despite the fact that she's been great to me i know she'd be a great wife and mother someday too Am I being a jackass for even thinking about breaking up with her? Am I being too shallow because I'm putting too much emphasis on looks? Would love to get some advice on this if you're willing. Well, a couple of things here. You don't find her attractive, yet you've been dating her for three years. Like, wasn't there a point, I'm sure you live with her? <laughs> like, have you just been living with her and you do not like her? It's one thing to not be in love with someone, and it's another thing to like... I don't find her attractive at all. So that that seems a little crazy to me. Now, listen, full disclosure, I'm not great at breaking up with anybody. I'm not acting like I'm Brad Pitt here breaking up with people left and right. I've been, I've had it thrown in my face too. Uh, It's hard because in business, I, I can be very, I'm sure many people listening, You know, once you, the older you get when it comes to money, you just kind of get like the faster you get numb to it when deals, you just, some people can say like, oh, you're an asshole. No, it's just business. Right. But with personal relationships, uh, especially with a girlfriend, a wife, a fiance, you know, it's tough because it's the ultimate level. If she is in love with you, breaking up with someone where there's no way for you not to be the complete asshole dick. Because people will be like, what? Didn't see this coming. If no one knows you're thinking like this and you've been living with her, so it's going to be difficult. That being said, if you are not in love with her and you do not want to have children with her, you got to just have some balls and do it. It's going to suck. I would imagine you know her family, uh, friend, carryover. There's no way around it. It's going to be a disaster whenever you... I I don't have a great advice on how to muster up the courage, you know, over dinner. I don't think there's a right time. Uh, I don't think there's a wrong time to do it. Uh, I I would probably obviously do it in a one-on-one situation, Uh, preferably probably not drinking Um, though. You might need a, you know, a shot or two to kind of get some courage, but you know, you're in a tough spot that you've created because you've gone with this forever. But you can't, there's no reason to keep this going if this is how you feel. And I think this, the reality is, it's life, you know? I mean, a lot of people find themselves in these situations where you have a lot of respect for the other person. You just, you know, you're not attracted to her. That's, you know, I've been in situations where I'm attracted. It's just like, it's not going to work long-term for whatever reason. And it's, it's difficult But the longer it goes, the harder it gets to, you know, go your separate ways. Because someone has to, you know, there's uh, clearly in this position, it sounds like, don't know her. She likes you more than you like her. But, uh, yeah, good luck. But you got to do it. You don't have a choice. I'm 55. Enjoyed Instagram just to DM you. Keep up the good work. Lifetime Bronco fan. And I'm concerned that Sean Payton brought the physical irresponsibility he had in New Orleans with him to the Broncos. He already overpaid two offensive linemen, which we needed, and the Broncos don't have their second or third round draft choice next year for a team that needs two new starters from that draft. Am I overthinking things? Should I be concerned? I've watched every snap Mike McGlinchey's ever taken. I interviewed him years ago. He's a good guy. People like him. He's just a Midwestern... Well, he's actually from Philly. He's just a tough guy, right? Big, you know, looks the part, Notre Dame. In theory, top 10 pick. In theory, he should just be a solid starter. The problem is his athleticism is limited. And I also think there gets to a point for an offensive tackle, if you want to get nerdy scouting-wise or coaching-wise, six nine is just too tall. And when you're 6'9 and you're not fluid and athletic enough... He just struggles against big-time pass rushers. The reality is, in the NFL in 2023, most teams have really good pass rushers. At minimum, they have one. Several teams have multiple. So when you play, you know, you can put Chris Jones over him. You can obviously put Joey Bosa over him. You can put Max Crosby over him. McGlinchey is at a huge, huge disadvantage in all of those matchups because he just can't bend. His foot quickness is... Not great. He's a good run player. He's a guy that can just be a starter for you like he has been for the Niners for whatever, five years. And, you know, he went to was part of a ton of playoff wins. But to pay him $55 million or 50, whatever they gave guaranteed. I'm sorry. I, I, that was the craziest contract of the offseason. They also signed that guard was it the guard from the Ravens. I forget his name off the top of my head. Uh, not super locked into like mid round guards, but when that happened, I text around and I got a lot of people go, yeah, I don't really see it. Now he got a lot less money than McGlinchey. If memory serves me correct, he got like 25 million guaranteed. But so you're guaranteeing 80 plus million dollars to those two guys. I think if you just pulled the league, it's a lot of money for two guys that. You know, in a perfect world, the 49ers were always trying to replace McGlinchey. And this is like, I think, what Sean Payton would say. Well, they couldn't, and they were fine with him. Well, true, but he was making, you know, five, six million (laughs) dollars. There's a difference once you start paying him that much money, especially when you're paying your quarterback that much money. So once you pay a guy, McGlinchey is who he is as a player. Like, he's well-established. Whether he was going to make $10 next year, or $10 million, his play would not change. Like he's not going to improve just because you paid him money. So his limitations, given your division specifically, I don't even have your schedule up, but just know how good the pass rushers are in your division. That would make me a little nervous. That would make me a little nervous, but this is what happens when coaches get a lot of juice. You know, I, I was wrong on my prediction that George Payton would be fired. You know, I'm sitting here May 13th. He ha, he hasn't been relieved of his duties. So maybe they are working together. But we all know when you pay a coach $18 million a year, like we know who pulled the trigger on that one, right? That was the head coach. Love the show. Been listening to a little for a little over a year. I'm wondering what your opinion is on the whole Matt Ariza situation. And if you think an NFL team is going to sign him. I don't hear anyone coming out and reporting on it at all, even though they were so quick to bury him. I talked about it on Friday's podcast, that if you're waiting for the media to apologize and say they screwed up, we all know that does not happen. That is not their MO. They bury you, and if they're wrong, they just move on. You know, this is the situation here. This is what's fucked about this situation, is the dude clearly wasn't there. He had nothing to do with it. Yet his career, I don't want to say ruined because it's not over, but clearly derailed. And I saw some people writing, and I don't even know if it's necessarily not true, bringing him in, even though he's innocent. You know, he's a punter. It's like, do you even want to deal with that? Now, I, I'd be lying if I said I knew anything about him punting beside all the hype when he was in college. And then when he got to the Bills, he was hitting like 90-yard punts. I mean, I think legitimately he hit like an 82-yard punt. So, I would assume he gets a shot. Uh, I I would assume. Now, I don't have... I just read one ESPN article because, you know, he clearly wasn't part of the gang rape. Uh, But, you know, I remember the bills. And I, I just think I'm reiterating what I said a couple days ago. They did not cut him because they knew he was guilty. They, like you and I, and like everyone in the media, had no clue. They strictly cut him because it wasn't worth it for them, given his position, to risk him not telling the truth and being guilty. Right? If he had been a star pass rusher, if he had been a quarterback, an offensive tackle, they would not have cut him. Now, they might have, you know, put him on ice, you know, and done that, you know, commissioner's exempt list or whatever teams can do, like just, you know, indefinitely suspended, but we're not cutting you, done something like that. But they would not have cut him. The punter, fair or not, and this is I'm not trying to take a shot at specialists here, but in theory, it's one of the most replaceable positions on the team. I'd argue it's easier, way easier to find uh, you know, a punter than it is a reliable kicker. That being said, I mean, he clearly got royally railroaded. I wanted to ask you about your progression as a podcaster over the years. I've listened to some of your older stuff, and you sound somewhat different in terms of your vocal pitches and... And popular phrases. I know Colin has certain hyperbolic words that he leans on. Big, smart, clever. That can captivate an audience. There's some psychology to it. It's a craft and an art. Just like anything else. And it's apparent that you work hard on it too. Just curious about your methods and your processes over the years as you continue to evolve. Appreciate you. P.S. I think the mailbag is one of the best things you do. Fascinating question. Uh, You know, (laughs) you ask a question like I'm like a professional golfer or NBA player or something. Like, how do you evolve every year? I I, I think, like most businesses, the more you do things, the more comfortable you get. Even though talking is something I'm very comfortable at doing before I ever did it for quote unquote living. It's weird. Like, today I played golf with a couple guys uh, that I don't know that well, though I know them a little bit. And we started getting serious. Like, they looked at me and they said, What do you do again? And when you say you're a podcaster, they just, they want to know, like, how did you come about this? And I, I think I've talked about this before in, you know, previous episodes that I, not that I was insecure. It's just a weird thing. Like, what do you do? Right. I'm a sales guy. I, you know, I own a restaurant. Um, you know, I, whatever. It's weird just saying I'm a podcaster. Cause you kind of, you're a what? Like, you, yeah, I'm a podcaster, but I, I think part of it is just. I don't know, just natural maturation. My style in terms of like getting ready for the show hasn't changed. You know, I, I write down stuff, uh, whether it's reading or see things on the internet that excite me and I want to talk about and I want to dive into, or I hear other people talk about on podcasts that are like, oh, that's that's a topic I want to touch on. And I kind of write out, you know, the angle I want to have on it, you know, probably like less than a paragraph on a notepad. And I kind of, I block it into like five or six segments for the show. And I just kind of, I write, I don't like write out what I'm going to say. I just write out some key thoughts, you know, all my different segments. And then I kind of go from there. I remember watching Colin do it. He has all these different papers and he just like writes kind of keywords. Colin's really smart. I mean, Colin's been doing this for a long time. I think he's, you know, the greatest sports talk, definitely the most unique sports talk radio host in the history of the business. You know, you could say best sports talk, you know, Jim Rome, what he meant to the business in the late nineties, you know, Dan Patrick, you know, many would argue be right there with Colin. Dan's an incredible interviewer. I don't think anyone can have a unique angle on a game on a player. And I, honestly, it's not even close like Colin. You know, if you say Dan Patrick is the best interview in the interviewer in the space, historically, you would say Colin's takes are by far the most unique, so I, you know, I, I don't do many interviews on this show, need to bang out some for the summer so I can go on vacation. But and, and part of my mindset on that, and it probably like I could do an interview if I get famous people, but I feel like a lot of shows do that. You know, I want people to come to the show to hear me in my thoughts. And, and my, this isn't a three hour podcast, right? Uh, and I just try to be, I try to be, when I say different, I just try to be myself. So I just try to be authentically me. And one thing I think that really helps me is like, I didn't go to journalism school. I don't even like the media. (laughs) I, I just try to talk like I do to my friends, which have normal people jobs right? That work in construction, that are farmers, that, you know, sell mortgages. You know, th- those are the people I talk to. And we talk about things in life that I try to utilize in this show. It's why we talk a lot about business on the show. Because in my real life, that's what we talk about. Mortgage rates, revenue, profit margins, how much it costs to make said thing that you do. You know, that's, that's, what, I, that's what interests me. And it's why, why I've always gravitated toward Colin because he talks about business. That's what I like. You know, I'm never going to break down the X's nose of football. It kind of bores me. You know, it's just, it's not my thing. So I just, I guess I just talk and maybe just over time, there's just a natural improvement. You know, the more you do something and, and, and take it seriously, you should improve at what you're doing. There's no guarantee. I mean, in certain, you know, lines of work, there's a talent baseline that you got to have, but I think most things, if you just keep doing it, you know you'll naturally improve. But like those keywords to like try to use psychology with the listener, I, I don't. I, I'm not consciously thinking of that by any means. Before we dive into what's next, do you know that Angie's List is now Angie Your Home for Everything Home? And as someone who is currently house shopping and who has bought property before, you walk in, you go. Well, I need to fix the kitchen. I need to want to improve this bathroom. I want to fix some stuff in the backyard. And then you go, well, I don't do this for a living. Where do I even start? Who do I even contact? That's where Angie has 20 years of experience combined with new tools to simplify the process. Over 220,000 pros in their network. They can help you get the best price for your product. They have new projects that are priced upfront and clearly lays out the cost before you buy. With Angie, you can request quotes from multiple pros in your area. The pros in your network are locally based. In just a few taps in the Angie app or click on the site, you can have Angie tackle your home service project from start to finish. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. When you're hiring for your small business,
1: Choose from the full line of General Tires. Ship fast and free to a recommended installer near you. Or choose the convenience of mobile tire installation. They'll bring your new tires to your home or office and install them on site. Doesn't get much easier than that. Go to TireRack.com Colin to see their General Tire. Test results, tire ratings, and consumer reviews, and be sure to check out all their current special offers. Great tires, great deal. What more could you ask for? That's TireRack.com slash TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be.
0: For the mailbag, I'm biased. But I believe the Minnesota Vikings will win the division. Though the Lions are good, the Vikings offense will only get better with Jordan Addison. I'll give you that, true doubt. We also got a lot of good pieces on defense, especially with the addition of Byron Murphy. Not to mention, Flores is our defensive coordinator. I'll stop you there. That is a fantastic hire. Brian Flores can coach defense. And your defense last year, not great, right? Pretty, pretty awful. Here's the one thing I'll say about Jordan Addison. In theory, it's never been easier for younger wide receivers to function in the league. Though I would say not everyone just hits the ground running. Some guys take time. And depending on who you're playing with, it just fits, right? DK Metcalf, late second round pick, gets Russell Wilson, great deep ball thrower. They dominate immediately. Odell Beckham got to the Giants when Eli could still play, unreal immediately. Now, like you said, Jordan Addison, he's coming to Kirk Cousins, whose last couple years been pretty damn good. I will say this, though, about your offense. I don't have the stats in front of me, but someone that's, you know, played some fantasy football in my day, daily fantasy, not a long-term fantasy guy. Pretty sure Adam Thielen scores a lot of touchdowns. So I I know he was getting a little longer in the tooth, but I would say this. Jordan Addison's career might be awesome, but there is a very good chance. I guess he only had six touchdowns last year, but he had 10 the year before. I mean, Thielen's given you 16 touchdowns the last two years. You know, I'd put the over under Addison like four or five. Tough to fill those shoes it really is very talented no one can argue that but there's a difference too of a young player you know it's one thing when you get drafted really high right and i would say top 15 and people view you you know a nick bosa Joey bosa zeke or whoever you know all these top picks expect you to come in hit the ground running and all those guys i just named could and then there's the guys in like the 15 plus like 15 to like 28 30 that, you know, some of them hit the ground running and some of them kind of get to ease into it. There's no easing into it for Jordan Addison. Now, you can argue he just made a big move, went from Pittsburgh to USC and was good. But uh, I'm going to pick the Lions. Mailbag question. Pretty straightforward. Break down your personal athletic career. Okay, Little League, mid-90s, Davis White Sox. Uh, number two pitcher. I'm kidding. I don't know. I played high school football, I played high school golf. And then I, I was a terrible football player because I'm not very big and not that athletic. And I played right guard in a wing T offense, but I loved football. I'm a much better golfer. Well, not currently, but I, I, I should have just not played football and played golf, but all my friends played football and I loved being on the football team. I, I played a little bit my senior year. We weren't that great, but, uh, Yeah, I just loved football, and then it ended, and then I never did it, and then I went to college, and I missed it, and I started working in football at Cal Poly. So it was one of those, you know, there's no, you're not listening to Matt Leinart here. I'd say athleticism out of a 10, you know, probably four and a half, five. Better athlete than I probably look. Pretty slow-footed. Not very quick. Uh, never really run, ran on my toes. A little, you know, run flat-footed. So I don't, you know, probably ran... I think in high school, I ran like a 5.040, 4.98 or something. That Honestly, that seems... I might have been slower than that. So pick up basketball. Can't shoot, but shoot a lot. I, I view it like Clay Thompson. So I'm a gunner. But golf's my best sport. Play a little tennis here and there in college. So I'd say uh, relative to America... Probably, at best, average athlete. Better hand-eye coordination than anything, I would say. Do you think the Chiefs are developing a succession plan for Andy when he eventually retires? Would they hire within or hire outside the organization? I highly recommend. These guys do a fucking fantastic podcast. I mean, it is just, when they got guests on, the ebb and flow of the two brothers, it is... I just don't think you can, no one else can replicate this. Like it's obviously they're two of the best players in the league. They're brothers. The Kelsey brothers podcast is really good. And I told Travis, hopefully I see him again over the summer. He, he plays golf at TPC a lot. Cause he's got a buddy who's like a corn fairy guy. Uh, I, I, I just think, and I told him, I'm like, God, your guys podcast is good, man. I mean, it is, it's, it's, it's an easy listen and I got pretty high standards. Like I don't listen to that many shows and I definitely don't listen to that many athlete shows, but like just throw on Draymond Green show right now and just, he can just sit there and talk. That's a hard skill to have. Most athletes that think they can get a podcast can't do it And the chemistry. Those two have the Andy Reid episode is just, it's fantastic. I know this in my experience around them. And I know a lot of people that still work with them. I I just, this guy's work ethic, I just don't think he's slowing down. Uh, I, I don't think he plans on quitting anytime soon. And I think sometimes in pro sports, when you get in a position as a player, like if you're Gronkowski and you get around Tom, you don't ever leave him. When you get a, when you're a coach, you know, and you get Patrick Mahomes, I think you coach till you can't coach anymore this is an opportunity from the football gods that just doesn't get any better. And Andy likes football more than any human I've ever been around. And I would put him in the history of the sport. I would say like him and Belichick, (laughs) I mean, I'm serious. I I, I mean, Sean Payton took a year off. Andy would never take a year off. not like the prime of his career. Like I just don't even think like Sean Payton or not Sean Payton, Sean McVay like thinks about going to TV at 36 years old. Like Andy has nothing in common with him. I mean, Andy's love of coaching and being around the football team. I would, I just think him and Belichick are on a completely different level than every other coach. I mean, it's, and listen, like these guys, I'm Sean McVay's a junkie. Sean Payton's a junkie. Kyle Shanahan's a junkie. Like obviously these guys like football, infinitely more than all of us listening and think we like football. And I would not know that because I thought I liked football a lot until I started working in it and seeing it. And you just go, yeah, this guy's not going away. So if health permitting and he's don't sleep on country, change his diet. I, I think he's going nowhere. I mean, I, and if you're the chiefs, you want him to go nowhere. He's, I mean, you got, you got two breadwinners there in that building. And, I mean, I I would – Travis, for sure. But, I mean, the the stalwarts leading the ship, right, driving the bus, are Pat and Andy. And as long as you got those two guys, and then you can put a couple elite players with them, Chris Jones, Travis, and Ludvig's draft, you're going to (laughs) dominate. You are going to dominate. Andy's been dominating. Donovan McNabb was a fantastic talent. I mean, he's probably like 60% of Mahomes. And they were dominating in the 2000s. I mean, think about that. Sixty percent, honestly, might be a stretch. And Donovan McNabb was like a Pro Bowler. You get that guy? I mean, holy! I just, I think it's on. Hey, do you know what hotel visiting teams stay at when playing the Jets and Giants at MetLife? Do you want to do some uh, autograph seeking? I No, I have no clue. Uh, I, I guess I could find out, but yeah, I'm not going to give that information away. Usually they stay. I actually got no clue. I mean, I remember I stayed one time at like 20 minutes away in Jersey when I went to a game because uh, I had to go back and work after. It was late. Purely as prospects, pre-NFL, how would you rank Caleb Williams, Trevor Lawrence, and Andrew Luck. I would put Luck number one. Now, it's also easy for me to do that seeing how once he came to the pros, he immediately started going to Pro Bowls and taking a team that had just won two games to the playoffs and by like his third year, he took them to the conference championship game. Now, Caleb could easily do that and Trevor by year two is, you know, leading them back in a playoff victory. Now, he self-inflicted through some picks in the first half. If I was just purely going out of college, which is I think what you're asking, it's hard to do that though because I, I, you know, Luck played a relatively long time in the league, and you know I got watched Trevor last year. I would go Andrew Luck, Caleb Williams, Trevor Lawrence. I think if they were all in the draft, that's probably how it would go. Now I do think there would be teams or individual GMs if they were all coming out of college at the same time that might value Caleb over Andrew, but remember andrews andrews a fucking load i mean the dude's like 6'5 250 i think andrews one of the best prospects in like the history of the league just physically in his play you could you know one downfall of his clearly was staying in the pocket mailbag question why do the raiders have some more primetime games than the saints thanks no clue I heard I, I haven't even looked at the Raiders schedule, but I think I heard they have five primetime games. Now, the flexing of these games, you know, you can flex Monday night games, uh, you can flex Sunday night games relatively early. Uh, there's no guarantee if you're not good. I do think the Raiders were close last year. Jimmy Garoppolo is a pretty big star. Their games at home are sweet. I also think I if I look at their I would guess they're playing, you know, the Chargers and Chiefs in some of those primetime games. The the AFC West is a pretty easy primetime. Last year was hard with Hackett and Russell Wilson, but it's those teams pop on TV. Curious if you had any takes on the idea of draft lotteries in sports like the NHL and NBA from a league business perspective. Guess I'm just confused as why other leagues operate in a lottery style way, since personally, I feel the NFL style draft is the only way that makes sense with the worst teams having at least the chance to get out of the basement. My favorite part of the NFL is the parody, which I feel like the draft has a big part of emphasizing that. You'd think a rising tide lifts all ships versus getting the best players to the biggest markets. Well, I think in basketball, the NFL doesn't have to worry about tanking. Uh, What's his name that owns the Dolphins literally told Flores like I'll pay you to lose and he won three of their last five games, you know last year Levy Smith Texans worked awful. Somehow they win at the end and they don't get the number one pick in basketball. It's pretty easy to tank. It it really is because you can put guys on ice. You can put out just complete scrub teams. It's just there's not much strategy if you're just rolling out G League teams. Hinky showed you. I actually like it in the, in basketball because they need... They can't just have teams tanking left and right. In football, you don't have to worry about it. If in football, you had to worry about tanking like you do in the NBA, I do think the draft lottery is important because you, you can't have no one care... You know, 10-plus teams not caring about the regular season for the last couple months. Like, ultimately, your product is the games. So, I think it works for both leagues. I think the NBA tried it out early... And it's become a TV event for them. The lottery night, that 30 minute television show. I I guess I haven't spent that much time thinking about it. Okay. Last question. With Dan Snyder selling the commanders most likely against his will. My question is what can the NFL and the owners do to force the sale of a franchise? I thought they'd have to pry the commanders out of Dan's, Dan's cold, dead hands. It's fascinating. Actually. Also is Mark Davis next on the list. Well, I think they have tried so many different angles on Dan Snyder with all these like political, you know, attacks from a football standpoint that they just kind of bled him out. And I, I think that's what they did. They just kind of bled him out. But it's been an ugly, feels like six, seven years. I mean, it's it's been bad with him owning the franchise. But these last, I don't know, since like 2015, 16, 17, it just started getting ugly. It started really getting ugly. I'm telling you, I don't know how they do this. They would love to get the Raiders and the Cardinals into new hands. Those two areas are just too profitable. They're too important for the future of just the West Coast. I mean, these are booming markets, Vegas, and the greater Scottsdale area. And, you know, I'll say this about Mark Davis. He tries he just has limitations because they just don't have any other businesses. I think people do like him. I, you know, people think I hate the Raiders. Whenever I interacted with Mark, Mark probably hates me. I always enjoyed him. Uh, I, I, he was very cool. He's pretty normal. But there are limitations with what he can do. And, you know, Bidwell, I, I think, is just people question, like, is the guy a good guy? Like, I mean, w- we saw some of those stories come out about like, you charge the team, like, players to take home dinner. That, that is absurd. That, that, that is insane. You're saying if Kyler Murray wants to take home like chicken, rice, and veggies to eat while well, I was going to say study film, but plays Call of Duty, he can't take a to-go box. I wouldn't have been able to pay rent if the Eagles didn't give me to-go boxes. I mean, I, without the Eagles cafeteria, I don't know if I could have survived in Philly off 25 grand. Every team, coaches, players, to-go boxes, you're charging for that? There's just no way around it. That's an embarrassment. I'm not expecting you to be Google. And even though I think Google cut this out, like having massage therapists and do everyone's dry cleaning, even though teams like when I was in Philly, we got our haircut at the office. you had to pay for it, but it was just a high level operation. And from everything you hear about Bidwell, it's the opposite. It's just it's mom and pop shops, the wrong works. I know mom and pop shops that run. You know, like a real business. It feels like he just cuts every corner possible. And this is what I'll say about Mark: he doesn't cut corners like that. Everything he built in Vegas—I mean, it wasn't him. I mean, the city—but he tries. Just he just doesn't. It doesn't execute it very well, but he does try. It doesn't feel like Bidwell even tries. Okay, we'll get you out of here on that one. Appreciate everyone listening, and uh, talk to you guys this upcoming week. OTAs, mini camps starting. It's rock and roll, baby. Adios.